I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day, life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Hey, honey. So, so happy we're here. Hey, honey, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty well. You know, I had to take care of some business today, but I got to see Larry Niven yesterday. You know, took uh, every year on Father's Day or around Father's Day, I take Larry Niven to brunch or lunch because he is the father of my career. And I like to make sure that he knows how deeply I appreciate everything he's done for me and in my family. And I love, I will love him forever. 
you know. I know you do. You and know, I know like, you, you know, he basically, you know, his attitude is, you know, about, you know, God, I'm so glad that I asked you, you know, so thank you very much for, for, for working with a, with a, with a kid from South Central Los Angeles who needed some help. And his attitude is, I think it worked out pretty well. <laughs> you know, I have to agree, honey. I think it worked out pretty well too. So well, we've been friends, you know, as, as well. And I just, you know, he's family to me and I named my, I named Nikki after him, you know, Lauren. Lauren In case people Lauren. think her name is Larry. But being a, being, thoughtful, being caring about the people who helped us and, and remembering them and making sure they know that you remember them, I think is so important to be on that chain of I follow the people who came before me. I give help to those who came after. I'm right in the middle of this for, you know, Harlan Ellison's grave, I believe, says for a, a while I was here and for a little while I mattered. <laughs> uh, we're all only here for a little while. And to to give thanks you know one of the reasons why we've been talking so much about relationship stuff is just it's so easy to forget how precious the people in our lives are absolutely it's astounding you know after i i lost my mother in 2012 i was just realizing how many moments i had not captured on video small moments like standing in the kitchen talking or commentary while we watch horror movies together and it's there's no way to capture even in the era of the iPhone, this is like the best documented generation ever. <laughs> There's still not enough to make up for the absence of people in our lives. So I 100% agree with you. And speaking as that person who was on my back for two weeks and dealing with COVID, as you know, today I feel so great. I feel as great today as I've probably felt ever since I tested positive for COVID on May 31st. Now, COVID has taught me that tomorrow I might want to stay in bed half the day. Maybe uh, get uh, Makuka honey. I got a recommendation. I think it's Manuka honey. Manuka honey? M-E-N-U-K-A. It's Manuka. Woo! It's supposed to be the oldest known medication that is actually medically efficient. It actually has antimicrobial characteristics. And I spoke to a doctor who uses it in the emergency room to dress wounds. Wow. So this stuff is for real. It's not, it's not, it, it, it's not your imagination. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to make an ad for any specific company because people can do their own research. But for my COVID journey and what this doctor told me is that everybody's COVID journey is different. I found it very helpful to literally just pay to talk to a COVID specialist rather than trying to talk with, to my GP. I'm very disappointed with my, my general doctor. I feel like he, there was a test. He did not pass the test. So I ended up on the phone with a couple different COVID specialists, you know, and they didn't always agree, but this woman I landed on last, the one who suggested the Manuka honey, I'm so happy with the way that went. And you could be right because I have not been coughing hardly at all. That's fantastic. Since I started using it. So yay for that. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, we like to talk about what's going on career-wise. Yes. And as you know, there were some things that happened over the last couple of weeks that caused both major distress on my part and I think pointed the way towards a, a potential major breakthrough mm-hmm. on birth. So I, I'd like to, sp- I'd like to talk about that just a little bit because um, just a little bit. If before you do that, I yeah. want to tell everybody stand by. We have an amazing guest today, New York times, best-selling author, Danielle Jose older. So do not dare 
leave, before we bring him on, I just want to let you know that that he's coming right up. But yes, honey, let's 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 talk yeah, about I mean, this. You know, so you were you were on your back with COVID. So you were operating at about 15%. We had a, a major pitch set up at a major, major studio that our agents, you know, said in no uncertain terms, this is the kind of thing that can, that, that can change your career, this pitch. I worked on a pitch, we worked on a pitch that I thought was terrific. And we, we had positive feedback from everyone around us. And I was deep into it, basically finished it. It was only directors, showrunners we know were like, this is amazing. That's right. We had like six weeks to get ready. Two weeks before the pitch, they tell us that they don't like that idea. They think that idea is a bad idea and it's not going to work and would actually hurt us in Hollywood for various reasons I won't go into. Oh, gutting, gutting, gutting. It, it, It felt like I was kicked by a mule in the gut, both because... I'd spent so much time doing it because I loved the idea so much because I felt like they didn't have faith in me. I had no recourse at the same time that I couldn't lean on you because you were sick and and, and trying to get well. So that was devastating. And I don't think I realized how much it hurt me and the degree to which I was running on thin ice as I tried to create two more pitches that I'd be able to do. so I, I, I Which kinda... you did with great speed, creativity, and brilliance. Well, thank you. You know, I I think that it did come out. I took my anger and my pain and I put it in there. But, but what I did not realize was that I was still hurt. And so there were a couple times this week, in the last week, where I reacted inappropriately in terms of, or let's say non-optimally. That it is one thing to honestly feel like I am stressed, to honestly feel hurt or whatever. It's another thing to look at that and say, I was the the intensity of that reaction was a straw that broke the camel's back situation. The excuse me, the straw was not that bad by itself, but the camel was genuinely overloaded. This is why you have to, you know, every day you do things to clean your head out. You know, you journal, you you meditate, and Obviously, one of the things that I wasn't able to do that I really missed was was hugging you, cuddling me. Right. And we didn't have that. There was we that disconnect. That. But you know what? It has a happy ending because I, 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 I feel like maybe it was a test, right? Maybe this whole thing, the agents like trashing the first one, we're devastated, trying to come up with something off the fly. One of us is sick. The other one. Yeah. But the pitch itself went beautifully. Now, you never know the outcome of these things. Yeah. But really, it could it not well have gone better. Never seen it. Yeah. Um, you know, considering that we're talking about movies and not like trying to get an episode of a television series. If you're trying to get an episode of a television series, that's an assembly line. The contract is is it at your agents in five days. The check's in your hands 10 days later. When you're trying to do a movie or create a television series, there's so much money on the table and it's so complicated that it takes forever. And there's all these different layers you have to go through. So we pitched it to a person who was glowing after the first pitch. I'm sitting back, you know, and I, I woke up that morning and it was after a day when we'd had some upset. So I was like, you know, showtime, let's put on a show. Exactly. You know, so I was at, I was at my best and I wasn't thinking about the upset or anything like that. But when she started kind of glowing at us and talking about how much she loved it and started talking about casting and producers, and there's part of me that's sitting back saying, you know, 
I did a Scooby take. I know. <laughs> I know. What's and going if, on here? If you've listened to our podcast from the beginning, like way back in January, you've heard our story about how an executive said, I love that I have this, which was like zero content and really disappointing because we were hoping to make a sale. And instead, apparently he had it instead of us having a sale. So the word love is used very liberally and she must have used it about eight to 10 times just talking about the first pitch. And part of me is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, wait a minute, what if she at least likes it? What if, what if we're taking this step forward? Anyway, we'll, uh, the future will tell. If you keep listening, we'll let you know how it turns out. Shall I introduce our guests? I don't want to keep them waiting in the okay, wings too long. Let's, let's introduce our guest. Daniel Jose Older. Oh my God, such a special guest, a friend first and foremost, also a former student, but I'll use air quotes when I say student because he was cooked by the time he ever walked into my classroom or a workshop at Antioch University of Los Angeles or or Ivona, like totally cooked. But I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of his career. He's the lead story architect for Star Wars. The High Republic is the New York Times bestselling author of the upcoming young adult fantasy novel, Ballad and Dagger, which is book one of the Outlaw Saints series. Yes. The sci-fi adventure, Flood City. The monthly comic series, The High Republic Adventures. His other books include the historical fantasy series, Dactyl Hill Squad, The Book of Lost Saints. I know that is his heart, heart, heart project. He was working on that when he was a student. So I hope I had a little bit of influence there, but it's all him. The Bone Street Arumba urban fantasy series, Star Wars Last Shot, and the young adult series, The Shadow Shaper Cypher, including Shadow Shaper, which was named one of the best fantasy books of all time by Time Magazine and one of Esquire's 80 books every person should read. He's won the International Latino Book Award, has been nominated for the Kirkus Prize, the World Fantasy Award, the Andre Norton Award, I mean, it goes on and on. Please welcome Daniel Jose Older. I need to let him in. Come on in. Uh, hi, you. Good to see you. So good to <laughs> see you. Amazing. The audience is crazy right now. What is wrong with these guys? You have the best studio <laughs> audience of all time. That was an amazing introduction. I am here. First of all, though, let me correct the point. I learned so much from you. Oh, come it's on. Done whatever you do. Don't, don't please don't play yourself or ever downplay how much you taught me, both about writing, about the world, and about publishing. All three of those oh. things that were so important. I needed your help and your guidance and your love and your wisdom. Like that really made me the writer that I am. And you could never downplay that. I will oh. never allow you to downplay can that. We, okay. Can we take Thank that you. quote and put it on one of her books? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Made me the writer I am today. Put it on a billboard. Allow me to say something. I like to pop context a little bit. If you listen to the hero's journey, one of the steps in the hero's journey is the gathering of allies and powers. When someone has the urge inside them to be a writer, they know that's what they are. Like that's this right. gentleman right there, one of the things they do is they go out and seek mentors. Mentors right. are not people better than you. They're just people who have been on the path a little longer. Mm. And they point out the, the, the path, you know, what does the territory look like where you are? They can tell you what's coming next. This See, this is how it actually works. This is how mastery actually works. It isn't just, yes. we're not born, you know, full born from the brow of Zeus. Anyway, that's all I wanted to <laughs> Well, say. you were talking earlier, you know, off mic about the influence of Larry Niven on your career. And I can think back to the late, great Elin Harris. Yes. 
who was such a mentor, he would share his publicity sheets with me because he was getting these like huge advances, these huge book tours. He would share those publicity sheets, all the people who were doing his media. He would give me advice. He helped me find a publicist. Just and, and really, one of the things that's really important to me now, especially Steve and I, as we're starting to venture into, into Hollywood, is that I feel like I have so much to learn and I am learning so much so quickly. And it was the same with publishing. As soon as I learn it, if there is somebody behind me who needs to learn what I just learned five minutes ago, I'm trying to pass that on because yes. they may not have 10 years or 15 years. Like I, it took me to transition into screenwriting or whatever it is you're trying to do. So right. you absolutely believe in sharing. Trying to build, build our own tribe. Build our own tribe and really change this world, baby, because speculative fiction, the fiction of pure imagination, I truly, truly believe will help people create a better world. Amen. Absolutely. 100% that. And the way we do it is by exactly that, like creating that world within our communities and within each other, with our friendships, with our love, with everything that we can do. And and, and that's another thing I learned from you. I mean, that was already instilled in me through community organizing was the idea of leadership development as a philosophy, but seeing it put into play in that world is very different than seeing it in, put into play in the publishing world and in the literary world and in the entertainment world where things can be so cutthroat. I mean, you know, you all know, and and I think anyone who's been in like an MFA program knows <laughs> you know, that world can be very brutal and, yes. and just conniving and judgmental and everything else. So finding not only guidance and wisdom, but like I said, love, right. And, and someone, you know, who will look out for me. And, and that also instilled in me the need to do that and the understanding of how to do that for other people who are coming up behind me. And that's how I've moved in my career always. And in part, that's also because of you. Oh my goodness. The number of people in Hollywood who are related to somebody else in Hollywood, right? (laughs) Nepotism is a thing. And so that doesn't even tell you the number of people who got in because of their friends. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if you can take a look and you can see the same names, you know, they grew up in the same, you know, same place. Mm-hmm. And I would say the number of, f- of people got in because of friends is 10 times that size. The Absolutely. number of people who got in knowing no one in the industry is tiny right. in, in comparison to someone who knew someone, a teacher, a friend, a mm-hmm. spouse, a relative. So that notion of building tribes. You know, it is it is just another part of the what toolkit do I need to mm-hmm. survive in this field and mm-hmm. keep my soul? Mm-hmm. Right? You, you build Say that. a tribe. You help other people. And That's those right. people, curious left, you get both get to celebrate what they're doing. But you know yes. something? One of these days, you're going to run into one of those people in a position of authority, and they're going to remember you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and that's a beautiful thing, and that, and that, but that it's done in a way that's about community and not about climbing, right? Like those things yes. happen naturally out of community. Oh, and that, that's very God. different than just like Would you also different than having that? people. What's that? I'd like I'd like to hear more about that because I'll be honest with you, mm-hmm. you and Tanana Reeve are better at that than I am. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just what I call stochastic, you know, connect, you know, connections. Just promoting yourself without promoting yourself because mm. of your values you help people and then down the road those people turn around and help you for some reason i understand helping people right and i understand promoting myself but tananarive and i suspect you there's something that you're doing naturally that is just, that is very sincere mm-hmm. and also is extremely productive but I just love to hear you talk about that a little bit. Just you said you you did community organizing. Mm-hmm. So what is your philosophy of building community? You know, 
That's such an interesting way to put the question. And it's, I love that you asked it that way because I've thought about it a lot, but I don't know if I've ever quite thought of it from that exact angle. I do know that a lot of that community organizing work did bolster how I moved and changed how I moved through publishing in some of the ways we've been talking about, whether it's leadership development. A lot of the work I was doing was you know, dealing with different forms of privilege, you know, with privileged people, whether it was talking about race or talking about gender, just navigating those different spaces through workshops and, you know, bringing people to the table, trying to have unflinching and very honest conversations with folks to be able to move forward about history, about the present tense. All of that are, all of those things are writing skills, power analysis, I think, first and foremost. That's something I always come back to when I'm teaching, both when it, what's that? What is power analysis? The idea of being able to have for organizers, it's usually an institutional power analysis. On some levels, it's just being able to read a room, right? And understand like what are the different dynamics at play within the room. I, you can look at a neighborhood and do one, what, you know, where this came actually out of directly was the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, which is a really great anti racist organization that's going on 40 years now. They're out of New Orleans here in New Orleans, but they're a national organization. That was a group I did a lot of trainings with early on in my organizing years. And they have this thing they call foot analysis. Basically, what is the foot that's kicking the ass of the community? (laughs) (laughs) Right? That. Foot analysis. I love and that. that is a they do term. it in every workshop. And they, and they, the way they use it, too, is to talk about the footprint of white supremacy across America and how it looks and how it looks the same and how it looks different. And it was interesting because in the early days of the training, you know, it was talking about the hood and what makes the hood the hood and what, you know, what are the higher income communities that exist that allow other communities to be deprived. And then it also became a lot about gentrification and understanding that. And what are the what are the stories that are being told by the things we see on the street? that that have deeper resonance within institutions that's a writing skill you know that's a skill that organizers absolutely need but when i brought that over to the writing world that's so clutch in thinking about world building thinking about dynamics between characters between characters and institutions and then as a spiritual person there's a spiritual dynamic to that too i did the workshop in cuba at one point and everyone there you know had a common language to talk about arisha so we were talking about the different Orishas that would exist, you know, at the different intersections of, of life in the city and all those different levels. So it's it's almost like layers and layers of understanding different forms of power, whether it's across the world that you're creating or across the world that you're working in. And I think that translates directly to the community that you move through as a writer. Right. So you're understanding your own power in a situation as much as you can, the way that it intersects within you. And how that affects the people around you and being honest about that, coming authentically to deal with that, which people will tell you is not to go on a tirade, but people will tell you, as I'm sure you guys both have experienced, I know you guys have both experienced, is that people will be like, oh, you're bringing power into politics, into writing. Oh, it's going to be a diatribe. It's going to be, you know, this, that and the other black and white binary and all that. All that is not true. (laughs) It's only true if you do it that way. And my, my philosophy has always been. You have to be as strategic with how you bring in politics or power into your writing as you are with anything else, whether it's foreshadowing, character development. Those are all forms of literature, themes that you use and that are your tools. And if you pretend not to acknowledge them or pretend they don't exist, pretend you don't care, you're just going to let it happen naturally, which a lot of writers will tell you. What you're going to probably do is toe the, the, the party line, you know, and that's usually going to be white supremacy. The same old, same old. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. You know, you, you brought up world building. How do you try to exercise or promote real life world building through your craft and through your stories? Ooh, that's such a good question. I think it's through this combination of like truth telling and also trying to imagine how it could be better and, and is better in some ways. Back to this idea of, I always think about islands of resistance and freedom. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was talking about it a little bit just recently in the wake of the overturn of Roe versus Wade and this idea that like the world we're trying to create is here. It's in these small pockets around us, right? It's in these moments that we create. And I remember thinking that very thing back during the, 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 the first like really huge wave of Black Lives Matter protests. And that feeling, we would be out in New York, right? And, and there was no nonprofit organization telling us what to do. There was no grant that we were accountable to. And the cops had no idea how to keep up with us because we weren't following any kind of set place that we were going to march. We would take over the Brooklyn Bridge and then suddenly veer left and go into Queens or whatever. Like it was absolutely brilliantly inspired by the very moment that we were living. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it was incredible and beautiful and tragic all at the same time. But the feeling of leaving that world that march suddenly and getting on the train 
where you know it was a very different New York very instantly. It always stayed with me just how how drastic those two things were. And this was a youth led movement with a lot of queer people of color like in the front lines. And it was so beautiful to watch. It was something that I literally never dreamed I would see come true, like a, wow. a, a movement that large and that spontaneous. Yes. And and I think about that. And I think about like other moments like that. They don't have to be gigantic, you know, headline grabbing moments. They're moments between two people. They're moments like you two sharing your your day together. You know, they're moments, whatever it is that we create when we get together in tiny groups and tell each other the truth, we are creating paradise. Okay. I uh, love that answer. And I'm just before wherever we go, other than this, let's just say you just paid the freight. That, what you just said right there was as solid and important as anything we've ever gotten anybody to say on this show. Thank you. I do what I can. And and I and and don't let us get through this podcast without talking about, you know, some of your amazing work, especially your upcoming work and the work you're most proud of. But I want to go back to this notion of world building and community building that starts in the home. Mm-hmm. because that is something Steve and I very much believe. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about your, you know, your sort of a newlywed, a newlywed, a multiple newlywed. <laughs> <laughs> we got pandemic married like four different times because we kept trying to make it work. Couldn't, did it over Zoom, did it privately, did it spiritually, did it here, did it, did it in the backyard. So I yes. was able to attend one of those and it was yes, so the, beautiful via was, Zoom. But tell us about your wife. She's an artist. Tell us all about her. Yeah. So yes, Brittany Williams, she's a writer and, a, and an actor and she's an incredible writer. And she's currently in a rehearsal for the Henry IV production at the Tulane Shakespeare Festival, which is amazing. She's a Shakespeare aficionado and trained in a lot of ways. And she's just incredible. I first met her, actually, she was performing in a Shakespeare. It was like a combination of different Shakespeare plays thrown together around Margaret the First, who's, you know, the character in some of the the War of the Roses stories. She was playing Joan of Arc. She had a sword in her hand and she was stage combat is one of her areas of expertise. And, you know, that was it. I was done. Oh Um, my gosh. (laughs) That would have been true for Steve too. If he'd seen me, I'd say, oh yeah. That's it. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, But but what's been so cool, I'll let y'all have your moment. Sorry. (laughs) What's been so cool? Oh God. Exactly. Yes. That is what happened. It was literally old timey sexist cartoon. 100%. 100%. It's been amazing because she's a terrific writer that I truly just admire for her craft. She's hilarious. She understands drama. Um, so we've been, we bounce, we very quickly developed a relationship where we bounce our work off each other. And I feel like that also taught us so much about how to communicate. And it's a dangerous thing to do if you don't already know how to communicate. We were already comfortable in our communication enough to trust that it would be okay. So that it just, it's something that's sort of built into the fabric of our relationship. And she's my first reader on most things because I trust her both to get it, to tell me the truth about it, to not be an asshole about it, (laughs) to give me the real, real. And she trusts me for the same. And that's been really cool. I've learned about writing from her. You know, I've learned about storytelling. I've learned a lot of, she is also one of those people that retains the nerdiest, randomest facts, you know, so she'll just Mm. have those. uh, I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> I had a feeling it was one of you. It's probably both of you. I, like you know, uh huh. Okay, she's I more figured. likely to to remember patterns. I'm oh. more likely to remember individual facts. Facts. Oh my know, god. From, yeah. from movies and, and books and stuff. Like right. That. Okay. That's that's Brittany. She's got the facts down, and she knows a lot about like she worked at Disney Hong Kong, 
she was Nala in The Lion King. Oh, it's amazing. So she's had this incredible life too. And yeah, just, you know, it really is this partnership of just, we just both have this very deep mutual respect on top of the passion and everything else. And that's been so, I think healing is one word too, that comes to mind. Just, I think because of, it's been a a lot of things. I think that word comes up because of how bad things are right now and how much Mm. we've gone through so many hard times of the world together and how much, you know, that relationship has just felt like so grounding in the midst of that storm, this storm that we're living through, whether it's COVID or the politics of the day or, you know, Trump, whatever else. And uh, it's just been so incredible to have a creative partner who's also a romantic partner, who's also a life partner, who's also a, now a parenting partner. Yes, let's talk yeah, so about got, Tito. You've got all three of the major, major centers. You've got the passion, yes. you've got the heart space, and you've got the head space. Exactly. To me, that's that's your potential for a soulmate right there. That's it. Right. All three lit up. The Holy Trinity. Yes. That's right. (laughs) That's fantastic. You know, I I, I do want to ask about the baby and navigating Mm -hmm. writing with the life of a baby. But I want to before I go to that, have you all collaborated? Do you two collaborate or or is that still we have something in the works that's Shakespearean okay. influenced and weird and we're not totally sure where it's going yet. It's very early stages, but because we have that history already of bouncing work off each other, I know without a second thought that it'll work, you know, it was, with disagreements and all the other things that'll come with it. I know we know how to navigate that. Fight fair. Yeah, exactly. I will say that we still, the first thing our, both of our separate agents said when we brought the idea to them was very kind of like carefully like okay we do want you to sign like a memorandum of understanding between you i just hope that's all right we're like yeah of course obviously you know like because hysterical you have to like i absolutely am with that yes it was it's really funny because we were both like sure no problem like that's you know it is a business and it is a relationship and it is both and you have to acknowledge those and deal with them you know head on i think so yeah we we will collaborate more i I think of us as having already collaborated with the work that we've kind of shared with each other and grown from i should say her first book comes out next year from abrams it's called that self-same metal and i i I try not to i'm always like just gushing about it because it is so good it takes place in shakespearean times it's this girl who has the power of ogun the orisha within her and she can basically bend metal and to her will and she's the combat coordinator for shakespeare's theater company so she gets to hang out with all of them Oh and my have God. this great time backstage and, you know, kind of apply her magic. But the Fae are attacking humanity and London specifically. So she has to use her magic to fight them off. And so it's like Midsummer Night's Dream is all mixed in there. And I'll, it's a that, that sounds like too sounds much incredible. So oh, my good. gosh. She, also I just, she killed it. Like it's, And I can't I, wait to meet her. I can't believe I haven't met her yet, but I can't oh, wait to meet her in person. Oh, Ah, I know. Damn you, COVID. Pandemics. But you will. And yes, so that's her book. It's amazing. So your newest collaboration, <laughs> Tito. How old and is Tito. Tito now? Tito is nine months old. Nine months. How time flies. I know. It's wild. He has two teeth. He's trying to talk. He's okay. Kind of I, I got to ask this. Yeah. Tell me something you understand about life now that you did not understand before you Man. I, I don't know how to, I, it's such a great question. And I think about it all the time. I don't know what the answer is exactly. Cause it's, everything is different, Steve, <laughs> you know, but like, I think, you know what it is? I thought, actually he's talking right now. I thought that everything would just seem different. Like I thought my perception would change. And I kind of went into it thinking of like, fatherhood will be a filter that I will see the world through once I'm a father. 
what I wasn't ready for was that the world is literally fundamentally a different place. It's not just that it looks different. It is different because this child is in it. And because that child and, the, and his relationship to me has changed the world, my world. And mm. that's different than just seeing it differently. That's a different oh, yeah. thing. And I just, not you know, it's the like same world anymore. It's not the same world anymore. That's right. And that changes love. Love is, love is yes. different. It really does. And it's just like, you know, epigenetics, our genes turn on and off depending on the environments that we're in. When you mm. have a child, a chamber in your heart, you didn't even know was there. That part. It's like, yes. oh my God, I didn't know I was that person. Right. Totally. Just and have to it, accept it exactly, and that's so beautiful, right? Like, it is. It's utterly I beautiful. Think of a more it's beautiful the meaning thing. of life. Exactly. Yet, it's like you know, and I, I hate to put a, a negative spin on this, but just like when your parents die, mm. you know things about life that you did not know before that point. Mm. You're not ready Amen. to know it. Amen. When a child is born, you mm-hmm. know things about life you did not know before that moment. It was exactly. there, but your brain protected you from that knowledge. You didn't need it yet. That's but, true. But if you can open your heart to this helpless little child, I remember when I first held my son, mm. I literally took him outside and held him up to the sky and did the roots thing. Behold, yeah. <laughs> the only thing greater than yourself. Oh, he and did. I, he totally I, did. I, I absolutely, absolutely did it. And I yes. swore to God that day that I would deliver him safely to his adulthood. That mm. has been my purpose in life for the last mm. 18 years. That's mm. it. That trumps everything else. Am mm. I or am I not being a good role model? Am I or am I not providing? Mm. Am I am, am I not loving his mom and showing him the model of the most loving relationship? Am I giving him 100% of who? Am I being his father or am I being his buddy? What am mm. I, what's going on here? If, 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 if in self-pity, am I refusing to give him the discipline he desperately needs? What's going on? It, it, it changes everything. That's and- you know, I, I have a picture of Steve when Jason was a baby, you know, in the baby carrier and he's typing at his desk. And I've seen similar pictures from you on social media. Yes, yes. How do you navigate? Like the mm. writers listening going, oh, we want to have a child, but it sounds right. like a lot. How do you navigate writing when you bring a child into your in your I feel like I went through this really great rigorous training course for that. That was the first 10 years of my career, basically, <laughs> because to Nana you know, I started out as a paramedic. Yes, and you did. I was writing literally in the stretcher in the back of the ambulance, getting chapters in. And also I was totally not writing a lot of times too. And I feel like that has to be mentioned. I don't want it to sound mm. like every time I had a break, I would be back. There. <laughs> no, like, I would wait for when I was working a slow unit at the most top suburban part of the Bronx where nothing happened except a 102 year old person dying of natural causes every right. other day. And, you know, so it was a 12 hour shift. So we would sit in a park in the dark with my laptop in the back and I would get words in. But most of my shifts, I was actually grinding really hard and and trying to save lives or or bring drunk people to the hospital and back. But so that and then later in my career, I would have to be on tour and on deadline at the same time. And I would write in taxi cabs. I I hope to never, ever do that again on airplanes. Airplane writing isn't that bad. Yeah, it's definitely better than taxis. <laughs> I mean, I was like, so, and look, this, these are all great things. Like that's a flex for sure. It was also a pain in the ass as so many flexes are, but all of that made me by, I had to be basically less precious about my writing time and place. And, but while still maintaining the sacredness of it, 
and the joy of it, you know, and figuring out how to do that on the run and on the fly. And yeah, of course, like any other writer, I wish I could always have hours and hours at a time, but that wasn't a reality. And I learned how to deal with that reality. Now having a kid, a baby, especially that is again, my reality. <laughs> and, and so the, my body is remembers, my body remembers the, you know, experience, the emotional, the physical experience of having to get the words in when I can. One really interesting thing is it's turned out recently that when I can is at night when everyone else goes to sleep. And that mm. brings me back to being a teenager. And when I, I used to wait for everyone to go to sleep and then journal to the point that we were talking about earlier, you guys were talking about earlier, how clutch journaling is to emotional health and well-being, And also I think writing craft and process that's, I would journal on my computer and people would make fun of me about it because, <laughs> you know, people get precious about journals too. And that's fine. You know, like they want it to be on paper. You used a word earlier. Please, I don't even remember handwriting. Don't go by without, without calling attention back to it. Yeah. You spoke of the sacredness of writing. Yes. Would you yes. please expand upon that? You know, writing is manifestation. It's conjure work. And I, and I think the more we know that and recognize it, first of all, the better writers we become. And second of all, the better it is for our lives. And I think conjure work requires us to, something you said earlier, I thought was really interesting and on point is the idea of, of cleansing. You know, every day you, you have stuff on your head, you have to get it out and journaling is part of that work. And in, in my tradition in Santeria, you know, we have cleansing rituals. I think writing itself can be a cleansing ritual, but I think also being aware of the energies that you're pulling on when you write sometimes requires other forms of cleansing. And and just understanding that, like what that might mean, whether that's journaling, taking a walk, you know, doing a ritual, whatever that is, it's about an awareness of it to really bring forth the the positivity, the positive side of what you're conjuring. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're storytellers. And we forget that sometimes because we're, hunched over a computer screen and typing, but this goes back to those sacred moments around the fire. And that's when a community would deal with its crap. Exactly. Exactly. That's a sacred work. That's, yeah, that's always been sacred. Yeah. The shamans use transformative language and imagery to guide people into the dream. Yes. You know, and so, yes, yeah, so you're absolutely speaking, speaking my language about mm-hmm. that. And I, I think we we'll, right. T- t- go ahead. No, I envy the fact that you have, that you have a living tradition, Santeria. Mm-hmm. That that touches that touches your heart. I think that that is inc- an incredibly precious gift that that you were given, and I'm so glad mm-hmm. that you're you know fertilizing and tilling that field. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. the The other thing it's it's brought me is an understanding of the spirit world, and I think, and I, I'm still very much grow always will be growing in that. But what I have come to understand is that the work we do, we're very aware, obviously, of like how it manifests in our world. But the work we do also affects the spirit world, and there's a quote by a writer whose name I just totally blanked on, but he was talking to someone, Luis Uria, I think is his name. He was talking to, um, to an elder, I believe in Guatemala. And she told him, every time you tell a story, it sets a bonfire off in the spirit world. Mm. And I love that so much. It's just like, for all the details of that story that I've forgotten, that part of it, <laughs> obviously, it's really what stays with me and how beautiful that is. And I, I just think it's so true. And I think if we all tell true stories and we really like lean into that truth and our, and our understanding of that, whatever it may be, you know, we don't just set bonfires. Like we can set whole forest fires and that's how we bring a new dawn. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. I could just sit in quiet reflection for the next five minutes over what you just said, but I want to talk about your, your work. I have to do a little fan service because for readers who know you through star Wars, if we don't bring up star Wars, 
Uh, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> so maybe we could touch on Star Wars, but also the Book of Lost Saints. I know that's your, your heart space, something you worked on for years about your family history. And also you have an upcoming graphic novel mm-hmm. I definitely want you to tell people about. So could you just talk about where you are with your work, what you're proud yeah. of, what you're happy about? Yes. What? What? Okay. So Ballad and Dagger is the book that I just put out. That's also a heart book in a, in a much less family way, a much more just Daniel way. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. It's nice. It's amazing to be back in the young adult space with that book. My Star Wars work is also <laughs> the thing I wanted to talk about with Star Wars that really touches on what we were talking about just now is that I was working on all of the High Republic stuff, which is an era that's 200 years before the Skywalker saga. So they actually just handed me and this other, this team of other writers as story architects, this era of untouched Star Wars history. And we're mm. like, have fun. And we did. <laughs> we have I know been. you we did. Still are. Yeah. So what I got to do was create all new Jedi and and Padawans, young Jedi, and have them in, the, and especially running the comic for all ages. What it ended up doing, which I didn't realize I was doing, was have me write a lot about parenthood as I was grappling with the reality of becoming a parent. And particularly with the Jedi, it's so deep because the Jedi are supposed to practice non-attachment. That's one of their core principles. They can't marry. And so they can't have, you know, and they don't have kids or they try not to. And, but what they do have is Padawans, these young people that they bring up to be, you know, Jedi. And there's so many deep conversations. Like the force as a, as a cervical cap. I mean, not an era of an area of canon that i have explored yet not something they would allow you to explore either i they barely let me me have a jedi kiss somebody they were very careful with that when i did my book i'm gonna say oh i didn't know you had written for star wars yeah 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 the sestus deception I, I I I wrote you know it's set just before Attack of the Clones. Oh, cool! Uh, you know, and so I had you know went up to Skywalker Ranch and you know oh. and I had I had I had a chance to do all sorts of fun stuff, including yeah. play, you know the the thing that was the most fun about that is there was a tr- a trope that I came up with or a scene I came up with when I was in fifth grade writing oh, spy nice. stories about Bill Conway, agent of Octopus. And I had these <laughs> robots that were like big jelly bean bags yes. with magnetically encoded joints traveling through the sewers and they pop up in front of Octopus headquarters and the joints click together and they became ro- killer robots like Transformers. Or And I put that entire scene in my book. Yes. And the fifth grade kid inside me was laughing so hard. I was having so much fun. Did you get to do something like that, Daniel? Were you a Star Wars fan from way back? Yes, because my first movie that I ever saw in a movie theater was Return of the Jedi. And it absolutely changed my life, made me the writer I am in in a whole other way than Tanana Reeve did. And like completely just formed me in terms of my imagination and, and monsters and everything else. I'm still obsessed with that movie. So I was, I think, you know, writing fan fiction in the form of playing with action action figures as a all through my childhood and so yeah what that and the first project they gave me the first book was a han and lando story last shot and so it was like literally drawing from these memories that i didn't even realize i had of like playing those characters in my head and that's how i knew like when a line would work i could hear you know billy d williams saying it and i'd be like yeah that's that's all right that'll work absolutely a call back to my childhood. Absolutely amazing. Beautiful. You know, one so question fun. I wanted to have, ask you have to answer is to be able to take a little bit more seriousness. You talked about your community organizing, mm-hmm. informing your writing. Did mm-hmm. your community organizing inform your Star Wars stories at all? 
Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, how is the question? I'm sure it's just all, it's all in there. I mean, I think Star Wars is at, at its heart really about found families and love and, and in that sense, kind of creating community. It's also about resistance, you know, and figuring out very much hope, right? Like how do we move forward when the darkness is closing in around us? And what, what's so, what I love so much about Star Wars is that it's very, it's very intent and grounded in its own sense of history, right? So it's not like most franchises where any given story could sort of take place at any given moment. I mean, Steve, you know this from writing in it. If it's taking place in this moment in history, these and these and these things have to be true. These characters can and can't appear. Like it's right. very grounded in that. And that's in part because the history is so real in that world. And, and there've been so many turnovers of power, you know, and there've been so many conversations about resistance and what does it mean to fight back? What does it mean to find light? And so those are all questions we ask as organizers, you know, and whether it's about the, the theater, the performance of power and what that looks like and what that means versus the reality of it, whether it's about the importance of gathering people, you know, of, of, a, of, of different mindsets together to, to fight the power. All those things are conversations Star Wars is actually really good at having. And so I've been able to jump in and, and have them even more within this. That is so great. And, and all three of us, coincidentally or not, are working with John Jennings now transitioning to graphic yes. novels. Steve yes. had The Eightfold Path come out earlier this year. Our collaboration, oh. The Keeper, comes out in September. And you have a graphic novel coming out. Tell us about Death's Day, because yes. it sounds incredible. Thank you. I'm so excited about it. So Death's Day is a collaboration between myself and Baba Malik Duncan, who is an elder Santero in my community, who's amazing. Bob Malik is that dude that always has a great story. And he tells stories about the Arishas. He'll tell stories about like seeing Prince in concert. And he'll tell stories about, you know, back in the day, living in Queens and coming up as a young MC. And he would tell stories about just stuff he made up. And they were all told in that like absolute, they're all still told in that absolute Bob Malik voice. He's a storyteller. And he's the guy that everyone's always like, you got to write this shit down, you know, and he kept not doing it. And and I was one of those people that was like, dude, you got to write this down. This is good. Like, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah, I do. I do. I do. And then uh, he finally listened to me. <laughs> I, I, I kept prodding him and prodding him. And then this opportunity came up and and I went to him and I was like, you know, you know that story about death? Like, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that story. So he came down here to New Orleans and we had a story session, a conference. We spent a couple of days down here and we just threw everything at the wall. He put everything down that he had. I added to it with stuff that I had. We mapped out the whole thing. And that became Death's Day, which is about how death every thousand years returns to Earth to spend 24 hours with its only child. And the child is found through divination by this group of elders of different religions that are kind of a secret society that gather together to do things like this. And this year, the year that it happens, when death shows up at the appointed house at the appointed time at midnight, the child has been kidnapped. So now the eternal order, which is that group of, of elders, basically jumps into action, sends their hunters out to find what happened. Death, meanwhile, is going kind of on the rampage from house to house to all of these leaders of different religions, appearing as those religions see death in the different forms and wow. bringing together like rabbis and imams and oh monks God. and all to figure out what happened and to do a kind of investigation about it all. It sounds it's so urban good. That is totally badass. It's oh wild. My God, it's a wild so story. I cannot wait wow. to like. I can't wait. When does it come out? When does it come out? Put us on your on your list for, you know, for for quotes 
Yes. Or, you know, whatever. I, we would love, 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 love. It sounds wonderful. Really? Because, I want to blurb it just so I can read yeah, it. We want to blurb it. <laughs> we can read exactly it. what you mean. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. It's, a, it's just a really fun story. I can't wait for people to read it. It comes out, I think, next year. I hope next year. Okay. They're doing the art right now. So it's like, you guys know that moment when you kind of have to let it go. Speaking yes. of right. children. Yes. Just let the universe. <laughs> you have to let go. Like, and who's the artist? Just, let us know. Because I've learned it in graphic novels, man, that, that artist is a collaborator and they got to get their love. Yes. yes. Thank you. Chuck Collins. He's amazing. He's a, a webcomic about bouncers up. I think it's called Bounce. It's so good. He's just a fantastic artist and he's doing such a good job and it's just going to be really cool. So I can't wait. For it people. sure is. And, I, you know, I just have to say, I I'm so proud of you. It feels weird to say that, like your thing your your mother or your grandmother says. Oh, you're you're my writing mom. <laughs> but I am. I I don't even have the words for it. I don't have the words for it. Just seeing what you've accomplished, the different kinds of stories you've told, whether it's young adult, adult mm. comics. I'm still jealous that you're this good a writer and also a musician. You know, and a good musician. <laughs> you're a better musician than I am. I will I definitely know. give you. No, no, I, I promise. Don't know. I promise. I'm, we got to jam one day because we, we won't know for and sure till we jam. And then you'll see how much better you are than I, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> you don't, you don't know yet. But anyway, it's just how how can people find you? I know you're on Twitter as DJ Older, but how I'm do on, people find you? I'm on. Well, the best place to find me is on my website. It's DanielJoseOlder.net. I have actually I have a blog still up from my ambulance days, which is a lot of how I learned to write was just writing about the wild things that would happen out in the streets. Right. As a paramedic so you can find that i have classes posted on sites like skillshare about writing that you can find and then of course most importantly my books are all there and yes on twitter i'm at dj older that's where i'm most active i'm also on instagram at daniel jose one and tiktok which i have been negligent you're gonna have to teach me how to tiktok i love I... tiktok i just with a baby it's been impossible but it's at daniel jose older and it's a lot of fun over there i just need to it looks fun i've done one you know i did like a, <laughs> i did like a fake dance video <laughs> like i was that, that still I counts. Was like dancing badly on purpose is it like a lesson to my is son that the like one that you showed jason yeah i did it for my son because he oh my god he's so mortified that i ever made one <laughs> but the whole point was if i keep practicing i'll get better i mean <laughs> what i think is hilarious about tiktok is like people on twitter think i'm really good at tiktok but people on tiktok don't i know oh i know they don't <laughs> like they, they're, they're like, like spielberg okay. over there okay they're yeah. like <laughs> this guy <laughs> this guy like what but i love the twitter thinks i'm a big deal on tiktok i'm absolutely not I, at all but i enjoy it and that's what matters well, it's been so great talking to you. And I, especially what resonates to to Steve and I right now is this, this conversation about two artists on the same life path, you know, in the yes. same household, seeing in the same direction, walking in the same direction. Yes. And I we wanted to take this opportunity to tell our audience, if you haven't heard already, that Steve and I are about to launch a live five-part workshop on Saturday, starting July 30th, called The Soulmate Process. Steve, why don't you tell people a little bit more about well, The Soulmate just, Process? One of the things I want to say is that your choice of friends is probably, the, you know, if you tell me the five people, if you if you hang out with five millionaires, you're going to be the six. You, you hang out with five really fit people, you're going to be the six. The people you are with is the most <clears throat> important choice you can make and the fastest way to move yourself in the right direction and the fastest way to mess your life up is to be with the wrong partner as you're climbing the mountain of life. I am blessed beyond any words to have found someone who I feel as simpatico with as I do to Nanarib do. 
I mean, it is one of the smartest decisions I ever made in my life to put everything else aside and say, I have got to check this out. I have got to find out whether or not this feeling I have is real. She lit up all three aspects of my life, my head, my heart, my body. Every uh, part of me wanted to. I was going to say, okay, watch it there. Watch it there. <laughs> it was just the truth. And the capacity to to feel that you deserve that kind of love, to be wise enough to recognize the opportunity when it comes, to have the ability to approach someone and basically, I mean, let's, let's be honest, make your pitch. You know, it's just like, this is who I am. What are you looking for? To be able to then, once you begin that relationship, to nurture. We've been married for 23 years. And this is, it's tough. Every day, you have to make a new commitment to loving each other, being with each other, remembering why you fell in love with them in the first place. And if this process, anything about it, loving yourself, being prepared to find a partner, knowing how to recognize one, putting yourself out there in such a way that your partner will come to you because of the natural process of what you're doing in your life, being able to negotiate that connection, being able to sustain that connection in a way that furthers your life. If that sounds of interest to you, we have a workshop for you, the Soulmate Process, that is based on over 20 years of research, because I was teaching some elements of this. We got married, but I stopped teaching because I wanted to make absolutely certain that I was right, that, that Tanana Reeve and I had taken the same approach, that I could work with students and help them find find their, their partners. It took, after 22 years, I finally said, I guess I'm ready to teach this. I guess I can honestly do this. And what we're going to do at the end of July is the best we have to offer about how to find someone to move your life forward with, to someone to hold hands with as you walk through it of life. As a friend recently said, we're all just walking each other home. You know, yeah, this absolutely. life is serious and finding the right person to dance with down that road. Sometimes dancing is hard and sweaty and you twist your ankle and throw out your hip. But you know something? Dancing is one of the things that makes life worthwhile. This is about finding that dance partner for you. you just go to www.soulmateprocess.com until the day of the workshop we got a hundred dollar discount for you i cannot tell you you know i i can't speak more directly and honestly to you about the fact this is we've never done this before in this way and we're going to give you 100 the best we've got i'm going to just keep it real for a minute here let me just keep it real there have been times when we've talked about this course when i have hesitated you know how do you promise people love how do you promise people a soulmate? And that's not really exactly what this course is. This course is designed based on actions that we took separately before we ever met that we can discuss and we will discuss that help prepare us to meet our soulmates. Everything from knowing exactly what we wanted to finding joy in our own lives, right? Like you hate to hear, oh, well, you'll find that person when you're not looking and, and why that's true. It's a very frustrating thing to hear when you're when you're looking. But we'll talk about why that's true and what that actually means about how you feel about yourself and your own life. I'll give you a hint. One of the sub one of the subtitles of the entire workshop is when the lover is ready, the beloved will appear. Yes. So it's about preparing to it's like being your best self, falling in love with the person in the mirror, knowing what you want in a partner, opening yourself emotionally to find that partner and then how to nurture 
that relationship as it evolves once you found that soulmate. One of the things we're going to teach you is a secret Sufi technique for sustained love that we do every day. And yes. It's, it's worth the price all by itself. This is, I've never done anything that I, everything I do is something I'm doing because a younger version of me wishes he had it. This, this is something I wish to God I could give every kid before they before they hit puberty <laughs> to understand <laughs> yeah. what is the path that we're about to walk and how can we walk it with power and grace and joy. So whether you're looking for a relationship or you're already in one and you just want to make it better, check out www.soulmateprocess.com. Other than that, Thank you so much, Daniel Jose Older. I, 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 you can jump back in now. We've been so excited to talk to you. Everything was a nugget. Everything was a quote placard for Instagram. Just so much <laughs> wisdom. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. It was absolutely my pleasure. I'm so happy we got to do this. We got to do it again because I yeah, have absolutely, because yeah, I know I know things that we're not talking about now, but we'll have right, we'll have things to talk we'll have about more later. to talk about down the road, and Excellent. I'm excited about that, and that'll be really cool too. You so are I'll welcome you anytime. If there's something you want to talk about in your life, and you know, we will make room for you. Just let us. That's know. beautiful. The crowd That's was love. jumping ahead there. They're so excited. <laughs> so thank you so much, and thank listeners, you. thank you for joining us. Go on and write your sentence today. And make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. That's right. Be the hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye. I loved it. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.